Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. In the Southwest, gardeners are already seeing seedlings and tree blossoms. While their growing season is longer, their access to water is limited. On the Northern Plains, it will be many weeks before outdoor plants are safe from frost. Native gardeners have developed surefire methods to account for their local environments. And they've also adopted modern tools to improve their yields. We'll talk with gardeners about what they're thinking about right now to improve their chances for a successful growing season. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Shirley Jihad, in for Antonia Gonzalez. The highest U.S. Census undercount of Native Americans in decades will result in fewer federal dollars for tribes and their citizens over the next 10 years. The Census Bureau estimates it missed a full 5% of Native Americans during the 2020 count. And as a comparison, the agency says it did come within one quarter of 1% for the U.S. population as a whole. The agency could release a state-by-state breakdown of the undercount as early as next month. Roll Call reports Native Americans are typically undercounted, but the most recent census was also hindered by the pandemic. Critics also fault the Trump administration for creating confusion around the deadline to fill out the form and for unsuccessfully fighting to insert a citizenship question into the census. Several members of Congress are pushing the Bureau to address the undercount before the numbers are added to the funding formula. A White House report says Native Americans face persistent, unnecessary barriers to voting. The Interagency Steering Group on Native American Voting Rights released the report last month. It says indigenous people face language barriers, extreme physical distances to polling places, and lack of accessibility for voters with disabilities, among other issues. Recommendations in the report include passage of the Native American Voting Rights Act. In southeast Alaska, tribal citizens who are experiencing addiction have access to a new, free, online treatment. Claire Strempel reports. It's called Culture Heals, and it's offered by the new mental health program at the Central Council of Klingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. Dr. Tina Woods leads the council's community and behavioral health services team. She says the goal is to remove barriers for people seeking information or care. Half the battle with behavioral health is being able to choose the right words to describe how you feel, to describe what you need. And uh, Culture Heals Addiction is a platform that will allow people with resources all in one place to learn about um, something that they might be struggling with. She says the Culture Heals tool addresses issues that underlie addiction, like generational or childhood trauma. William Andrews joined Dr. Woods' team last year and will lead men's healing groups. He says he got involved after therapy with the tribe helped him through the pandemic. He says that was the only therapy he could access because other local resources were unavailable. I think this is one of the most important things that we're doing as far as like taking leadership in our community to help meet unmet needs that not just our citizens, but our community has. Culture Heals is available online and is mobile friendly. It has links to information, culturally relevant videos, and an emergency hotline. Reporting for National Native News, I'm Claire Strempel. 
In Maine, lawmakers cleared legislation that gives the Passamaquoddy tribe the ability to regulate its own drinking water. The Portland Press-Herald reports the bill faces a possible veto by the governor, Janet Mills. The bill would solve the tribe's concerns over current drinking water quality by allowing the tribe to drill wells on tribal land. The tribe could also work directly with federal officials instead of going through the state. Previous legislation limited the tribe's ability to act as a sovereign nation. That's something most tribes across the country take for granted. Opponents of the bill say it gives the tribe power to remove tribal land from the tax rolls without consent from local municipalities. With National Native News, I'm Shirley Jihad. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Strong Hearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Gardeners across the country are taking in very different conditions, depending on where they are. The northern Great Plains and East Coast are still dealing with snow and freezing temperatures. Fruit trees in the southwest are mostly leafed out, and many young sprouts are showing. Alaska is still several weeks away from the start of outdoor gardening. But wherever you are, there are steps to improve the chances your native garden will be successful. In this hour, we'll talk with several Native farmers about things to think about right now, whether you're using traditional Native seeds and farming methods or a large plastic pot on your apartment balcony. We really want to hear from our Native gardeners today. Do you have questions about gardening? Are there gardening workshops in your community? Call in, join the conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We also posted about this show on Facebook and Instagram. Show us last year's harvest. Share a picture of the seeds you plan to sow. Just look for Native America Calling on Facebook and tag us on Instagram. Joining us today from Taos Pueblo in New Mexico is Addie Lucero. She's a seed keeper, traditional farmer, and a small business owner. She's Taos Pueblo and Yaki. Addie, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Speaking with us in Ajo, Arizona, is Sterling Johnson. He's the farm manager and a mentor at the Ajo Center for Sustainable Agriculture. He's from the Tohono Autumn Nation. Great to have you on the show, Sterling. Uh, good to be on. Joining us from Six Nations, Oshawagon in Ontario, Canada, is Cherry Lynn Brandt. She's a Mohawk seed keeper. Welcome back to Native America Calling as well, Terry Lynn. Thank you, Terry Lynn, so much. And joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, also is 
Kateri Zuni. She's the Associate Director of the Center of Southwest Culture. She's Isleta Pueblo and Zuni. Welcome to Native America Calling, Kateri. Hello, Hawaii and Keshi. Thank you for having me. Let's get this show started again, talking about native gardening. Spring is here. Addie, growing season, it's here, it's upon us. Are you excited? I'm thrilled. Um, although here in Taos, we have, we're, we're very northern, and so we don't have a planting season that's going to begin outdoors until um, mid to late May. So I'm prepping now. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious about that because you're in the southwest, but you're in the mountains. So you're going to have obviously a very different growing season cycle than other parts uh, of the southwest. So May is when it's all going to start for you. What are you going to plant this year? This year I'm looking at planting um, some blue corn, white corn, um, some yellow sweets, as well as um, traditional red beans and squash. And squash is actually a couple of different ones. And then just a smaller garden with veggies that we like to eat <laughs> year round. Like, you know, we love kale here and we're going to try to do some tomatoes and um, some pumpkins as well as some uh, seeds that I got recently from a friend of mine in a seed exchange up in uh, Minnesota. So we'll be doing some cool watermelons. Interesting. And flowers. Now, Eddie <laughs> Oh, and flowers too. What types of traditional native foods do well up there in Taos where you are? So our traditional uh, crops would be the blue corn, the white corn. We have uh, a speckled corn that comes out here really well. So the corns, the squashes, the beans, um, and like pumpkins do really well up here. And do you have to take special steps to make sure that you get good crops with those specific seeds or are they pretty flexible? Well, I think just more in terms of looking at our growing season, because it is very short, um, we have less than 80 day growing season up here. We want to do, you know, short crops. Um, we also um, flood irrigate. So looking at, at uh, you know, seeds that are adapted you know, to this, this region are, are really ones to look at and then ones that can tolerate, you know, a lot of water and then no water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. So really, really highly adaptable seeds um, are great because it does get extremely hot up here. So we do get that part of the southwest summer and the monsoons as well. Well, speaking of that uh, really hot, hot climate, we've also got Sterling uh, on the show and he's in the southwest down here. Uh, down in Ajo, near Tucson, Arizona, really hot down there. So, Sterling, what types of special conditions do you have to deal with uh, growing down there on the Tahana Autumn Nation? Uh, yes. So, on the Tahana Autumn Nation, it's uh, really, in Ajo, it's really just dry heat. Um, our, our heat is, we see almost 100-degree weather three months out of the year, sometimes more if there's no monsoon uh, rain. Uh, it's uh, and temperatures can reach anywhere from 100, and, 100 to 115 uh, or 118 sometimes, extreme heat. So those are just really harsh conditions. But um, for us, it's not awesome. Uh, people, have, we have been surviving here for thousands of years uh, using various methods to uh, water our field. 
118 degrees. Yeah, you are not kidding, Sterling, when you say <laughs> that is some harsh, harsh heat up there. I'm, I'm curious to know, what are the best types of traditional plants that grow in that hot, arid climate? Um, so um, for us, we have our traditional food. So um, bao, hot, and hun, which is um, beans, corn, and uh, squash. Um, those are um, our traditional. So the bao is the tepary beans. The hun is the, um, is a corn, a specialty corn. Uh, is a small corn that grows in. Uh, believe it or not, you plant it, you water it um, consistently. It comes out in sixty days. Um, it's known that as the thano autumn. It's known as the thano autumn sixty day corn, and it's a small, um, ear, uh, small corn. It grows really fast, and then. Uh, Thon autumn squash, which is hot, and that takes about five months to grow. That's amazing, a, a two two month growing cycle like that, and you know, obviously that type of heat, uh, limited water. What do you have to do to make sure that you have enough water and you've got the right um, the right situation to to grow your crops up there? Because obviously you've got to be careful with how much water you use, right? Uh, yes. Um, so what we do is we teach modern methods. So we teach about you know, drip irrigation, soaker irrigation, uh, soak holes irrigation. Um, we teach about um, how to use timers. But one of the things that uh, we teach is about um, using the traditional method, which is you now uh, was described as up chin or mouth of the wash. Um, using the the water um, flow um, from a wash to divert into your fields. And when the monsoons come, no, there's no spigot to turn it off. It comes down as much as it wants. And sometimes it's no, half an inch in an hour, or sometimes it's two to three inches over no, hour, uh, hours of times uh, when the monsoon comes. And... The way that the autumns um, that um, use that um, environment, they you now worked with the the land. They didn't you now try to fight with the land and you know, block off the water. They you now set everything up with um, with moving dirt or setting up um, uh, like mounds of dirt or um, or canals to divert the water into the field so that the water can uh, soak into the ground and then uh, keep doing it uh, throughout the monsoon season so that things can grow. So irrigation uh, canals and, and various other adaptations to make sure that that water gets to, to where it needs to be. Now, Addy, up there in Taos, obviously you're not dealing with 118 degree heat on a regular basis, but you've got some water issues up there you have to deal with too, right? I'm I'm so sorry. I didn't I didn't quite hear that. There's a little bit of a like a buzz. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just asking. Sterling was talking about some of the the irrigation canals and some of the work they do to to make sure that they get enough water to their plants. And I'm interested to know what types of uh, steps you have to take up there in Taos to make sure your your fields are properly irrigated. Yeah, I mean, so the very first thing that we do is we um you know we clean the ditches. We get the cl ditches cleaned. And there's a crew from our, our Pueblo that goes out and does that and takes care of that. And once that's ready to go, um, 
you know, we wait for the water to come. And once the water comes, I make sure that my field, you know, is ready. <laughs> it's prepped and, um, and uh, the ditch in my little area is clear and it's ready to go. And so once that water starts going, I'll usually soak the field for the first time and make sure, you know, the flow is going right. And that's uh, that's the men's job, right? To make sure that those ditches are clear every year. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. I, and I we know. <laughs> usually will have a ceremony and, and get things going with, um, you know, with our family once the water's ready to go and just give thanks. Yeah, ditch work, uh, a big time, big, a big important event in, in Pueblo culture for sure. Eddie, what plants do you start seeing first? Which are the first ones to sprout? Usually it'll be the corn that starts coming out um, first. And um, then right after the corn, it'll be the, the squash or the pumpkins and then the beans follow. Well, folks, we are talking with some native gardeners today. We've got four on our show and they're going to share ideas they're going to share tips they're going to share best practices and they're from different parts of indian country so we're going to get a lot of really cool perspectives in terms of how to plant your garden this year and how to make it grow successfully if you've got a question if you've got a comment any feedback at all for today's show what are you waiting for give us a call 1-800-996-2848 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Neighbor Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we're going to be back after a short break. People are diving back into public life, and you might have trouble finding regular use of face masks and hand sanitizer. Does that mean the COVID-19 threat is over? We'll talk about the new coronavirus strains, second boosters, and what to watch out for in the days and weeks ahead on the next Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are talking about gardening today. Are you planning a garden? What are you doing to prepare for the upcoming growing season? Are there any specific traditional plants you're looking forward to growing this year? Please join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Addie, uh, I'm thinking of somebody who might be listening to our show right now up there in Taos Pueblo or around Taos Pueblo, and they're getting inspired to start a garden this year. What do they need to be doing right now at this point in time, mid-April, to get ready? Um, I would say like looking at your seeds and thinking about the kind of seeds that you want to plant and um, considering where your water source is at in the field or the area that you want to be planting in. Seeds are a big thing because um, if you're going to be planting a traditional garden, um, you want to make sure that you have the seeds. I've, I've had people 
you know, come and ask me for seeds and, um, you know, it, it, not everybody just has the one hand, you know. And so if you wanted to plant a garden, let's say, for instance, this is your first year, um, talking to your family, you know, and letting them know that this is your, you know, your desire to plant a garden and, and uh, maybe talking about the seeds and, and what, what would be the purpose, you know. If you want to do this for traditional purposes, are you going to have the seed, let's say, like the, the blue corn seed or the red bean seeds, you know, and if not, who has those? Does somebody in your family have them? And if not, where else can you get those within the community? Always looking in the community because, again, you know, having seeds that are, you know, adapted to this region that, that our ground recognizes, that the seed recognize and have a relationship, you know, with the soil um, and the water you know, those are going to be your best options because our water here is precarious because of our water settlement. We don't always have water in our ditches. And so that, that can change from year to year, depending on how much um, water we get, you know, um, throughout the winter. This year we, we had, I mean, this past year, we had a lot of uh, snowfall. So that was great. And I feel like we're going to have a good blessing this year with water. So really thinking about the water and the seeds and then what condition is that soil in. We have a lot of rock here <laughs> in our soil and our, our clay. Our soil is very clay um, rich, thick, um, hard clay soil. So thinking about where you're going to pl uh, plant, you know, the seeds that you have. So most of our seeds that are the traditional seeds will do well in there. But for instance, if you're going to plant flowers, or herbs, those are a little bit more delicate and will need a little bit more of a softer soil base. So you can put amendments into your soil and um, work your soil to make sure that it's less rocky. Um, so considering mm -hmm. all those things, it's just it's it's just a matter of what you would like to plant, you know, in that particular season and reaching out to people in your family also who have planted over the years or who plant annually. So, Eddie, you mentioned these traditional seeds and, and, and going to family members or relatives who might have those. These uh, are the types of seeds. You can't buy these at Lowe's or Home Depot, can you? No, you cannot. And the other thing I would say, um, being somebody who saved seeds and, and who's farmed and done a lot of this type of education, I would think that um, really getting yourself um, familiar with seeds that are available at Walmart or or Lowe's or Ace or things like that. Um, really looking for heirloom varieties, organic varieties, because when you're getting into like the F1 or the N1 seeds, those don't reproduce. They they will produce perhaps a beautiful crop, you know, the most beautiful cherry <laughs> uh, tomatoes, for instance, but then those aren't going to reproduce. You can't save the seed from that. So you're not being really sustainable, um, you know, for yourself for, for the next year. So really having that consideration um, as to what you want to plant and doing um, a little bit more um, research or talking to people who have done this. Well, that's a lot to think about and to be aware of. Uh, it's not just a matter of picking the right seeds, but making sure uh, if you want those plants to come back the following year to make sure that they are sustainable. If you've got any questions for any of our guests to, to, to learn more about farming this year, growing a garden, 1-800-996-2848. And these traditional native seeds, this is just so fascinating to think about it. And let's bring another voice into the conversation. Again, we have Terry Lynn Brandt. She is a Mohawk seed keeper and she's up in Canada. Terry Lynn, what kinds of seeds are you saving? 
Um, well, I've been very fortunate because I do come from a, of an agricultural community and family. So the majority of the seeds that we have, that I have here that I save are pre-settler seeds. So seeds that have been in my family or our community since before the European arrived. So those are the ones that I save. Um, I do also save heritage. I'm right into heritage tomatoes. So I have, well, oh, depending on the year, anywhere from... 18 to 24 different varieties of heritage tomato seeds. Um, but I guess one of the most important things, too, is that as a traditional seed keeper, it's my responsibility to create new varieties. So I have been slowly working on either uh, reclaiming something that we don't have a lot of them, or I have been working on a, a drought-resistant corn seed that uh, I am crossing one of our good um, drought-resistant corns with a corn from a seed from uh, Oaxaca down in Mexico that I received from some traditional farmers. So that's the kind of seeds that I save. So, Terlyn, talking about, you know, um, creating these new seeds and the crossbreeding, that sounds like a, a very involved, in-depth uh, operation. How long does that take to come up with a, a new seed like you describe? Uh, usually about seven years, seven years of planting it. And you just keep an eye on it every year and make adjustments to make sure it grows the way you want? What all goes into that? Uh, well, it's just, yeah, um, it's extremely isolated. I select a place where it's extremely isolated. Uh, we even um, put up like uh, burlap walls, barriers around it. So it, it has its own place to grow. Uh, we do a lot of ceremony for it just so that it, it you know, the, we ask the creator to help us and support us all he can and, and to create this new seed if, you know, he sees fit that that's what should happen. And just making sure that it has all, all the things that it needs, but not over-babying it, you know, because we create these seeds that are very regionalized to our area. Uh, they are, we're hoping that they uh, help us adjust to climate change a little bit better. And that's, you know, some of the, we didn't really think of that in the past. We kind of thought more we created seeds for just to kind of, you know, whether we want it flour, whether we want it just a fresh eating corn. That's how we used to breed. But now we're, you know, we're thinking more about climate change and how our seeds are, are going. So we're taking that into consideration and we're trying to get strong seeds. And as a seed keeper, um, we very much pay attention to the plant. In fact, uh, we choose our seed, like not from, like people will you know, pick all their corn and then they will select the seed from there. But we actually select from, we, we choose the proper, a good, healthy, strong plant first and we'll tie a ribbon on it. Say, like, this one is doing so nicely. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a strong stock and a, and a good corn stock, then you're not going to have a good seed. Terry Lynn, it sounds a lot like breeding livestock, just making sure you you, know, you get those, those those stud seeds in there and, and then have them reproduce. And you mentioned uh, seven years to, to get a seed to the point where it's ready, this new seed. And then who do you share these with, Terry Lynn? Oh, well, we have a seed keep, a traditional seed keeper network that we meet. Actually, we just were, we were meeting last weekend to talk about our agricultural year last year, uh, who has what seed. Uh, who needs it in their community, how to move the seed around the communities in a traditional manner. Um, so that's kind of where it, it, it kind of goes through first people that, because once you're starting to um, get new seeds or you're, you know, you have something, uh, you, you want to share it with somebody that you know is going to follow through with the, the planting and the care of it. Because many times as seed keepers, you know, I give out 
you know, hundreds of packages of seeds every year in our community. And, you know, and I put kits together and things like that where, you know, I'm giving to 50 or to 100 families and sending them to other communities. But, you know, then you have people coming back and asking for the same seed. I said, like, I just gave you that last year. You know, so <laughs> if you if you do take seeds from like especially our own heritage seeds from our nations, if you, you take them, be responsible. They are to us living relatives. So we, we, we hope that you treat them. They're not just something you hang on the wall and say, look at this pretty corn cob I have. No, if you took it to plant, then please plant it, because that's the inherent responsibility that the creator gave to our our, our corns and to our foods. You know, he, he gave that seed that ability to grow. And if you just, you know, hang it up on the wall to look nice, then you're you're denying it, it it's, it's, its own inherent responsibility to, to fill it, fulfill its cycle again. Terrilyn, thank you so much for mentioning that. And I think it's really important that we understand to, to respect these seeds and, and to, to, to use them. Like you mentioned, that's what they're there for. They're there to, to grow, to nourish, to feed, and, and, and not simply as, a, as, as decorations like you mentioned. I really appreciate that. And, and Terry Lynn, once uh, a person takes these, these seeds and, and they put them in the ground, uh, are there then traditional practices that, that folks use to ensure a good harvest? Um, well, it, yeah, but it started way, way before now, like... For, among the Haudenosaunee, among my people, we have what we call midwinter ceremonies, and that's like the first moon after, right, of the year. And that particular ceremony is all about replenishing and rejuvenating Mother Earth. So that's how we think about and that's when we use a lot of wood ashes, and that's when a lot of the old-time farmers will actually go and spread the wood ashes out in their gardens because it is, you know, it's potash, it's a good fertilizer, it's really good for your garden. So that's like in the mid-fold <laughs> You know, and it melts with the snow and it goes into the earth gently. So, you know, and then we start to look for the high winds and things like that because the high winds what heats up the earth, and that's what starts our sap running. Um, one of the responsibilities of children during that time is to pick up what our old guys would call the sap wood, the, the things that fall down, just to make it safe for them. But those things are kind of saved, and they're put to the side, and that creates a nice pile that's broken down and, and becomes your mulch for your for your garden um we also like i've just had two deliveries this week um uh, because as soon as the warm winds come then the fish run and after the, our fishing societies get done fishing they come over they say hey do you want my fish cuts <laughs> and i say yes you know because i use that to create my own type of uh, fertilizer for the garden so there's a lot of things that we do right from january when the agriculture year for our people starts so if you think of those things, and each one of those little steps along the way has its own ceremony, okay? So that's the thing that people have to start to think of is what is what is this moon and what 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 is happening to in nature? So those things are really important um, in our communities. And once people start to uh, think about those things, then they're starting to think, and their mindset becomes starts to change towards looking at each one of those and how important each little sliver becomes. And so when they put that seed to the ground, like depending on what they're doing, um, and, you know, we are modernizing to the extent where we're thinking of climate change. So there's some things that we are, in fact, starting inside, you know, like so people are putting things in, you know, some of our really uh, rare squashes and things like that. We're starting them now so that when we're putting it out, like we don't plant here till near the end of May. Um, but when we're putting out our squashes, you know, we're trying to give them a good start. So you can make that decision whether you're going to make some seedlings 
you know, which you can do right away, or you're going to plant direct seeds. You know, direct seed planting is the best, but with climate change, you got to really think about it. So that's one of the big things after, you know, your first responsibility is to the earth and to ceremony and your creator, and then it's, okay, how, what is the best way to treat these seeds so that they will be successful? Well, Terry Lynn, I, I'm thinking come late summer, fall, your house must just be a great place to go for dinner. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> at, at this particular Folks, location, we we are a seed bank. Like, we, we hold the community seeds here eh, for people to come and get. So we do get a lot of visitors. And then when the harvest comes in, do you have uh, big festivities and, and a lot of doings to, to, to celebrate and to enjoy the, the, the fruits of all those labors? Yes. Um, well, throughout the agriculture year, among the Haudenosaunee people, we still have ceremony, right? Lots of ceremony. So when the very first, um, like, the the very first seed ceremony that we have is actually a, is run by the women because in our society, women are in charge of agriculture. So all the seed songs that we sing while we're planting and enjoying are sung only at this time of year because it's for the seeds. It's, you know, it's not something we would be singing, you know, after harvest. So but so we sing all those songs, and, and each woman in our community, they have their own that they've developed through their initiation rites of passage and things like that. So Or they have a family seed song. So all those are sung right through the season, right into the harvest time. So, but as for us, when the strawberries uh, come on, that's what we call the leader of the fruit, of the, the leader of the berries. So there's ceremony for that. When the green beans start, we have green bean ceremony. So as everything starts to come up, the very first one of that variety we honor. So we're giving thanks all the way throughout the season. And then at the end, when they call it putting away the bread, when everything is absolutely done, we have huge big, uh, big green corn ceremonies and and that's just that whole celebration of everything that the Creator gave us. And uh, that's when we do, we actually release the men so that they can go and do their hunting chores after that. Well, heavy traditional farming knowledge coming your way from Six Nations territory in Ontario, Canada. And anybody who's just interested in, in learning more and in, in getting started with a, with gardening, we've also got Catery Zuni on the show today. And Catery, you've got some gardening workshops coming up in the Albuquerque area, right? Yeah, um, in and around the Albuquerque area, but also um, we offer our programming um, throughout New Mexico for folks who either are already experienced growers and just need a little extra supplies or workshops or ideas to get started. But also we really try to reach um, Indigenous and Mexicano and Chicano and POC families who are just kind of getting their legs under them when it comes to gardening and building a backyard garden. Um, So we offer a series of workshops um, through our program that takes people from, you know, just the beginning of their soil health and doing composting um, through and um, around doing companion planting and how to plan their garden, set up drip irrigation lines. Um, And then we also provide the necessary tools that they'll need to create a small backyard garden. um, And we distribute those to all of our participants Um, And as they go through the growing season, we try to provide as much technical assistance as possible um, with our staff and online. Um, And then we kind of close out our season by offering uh, cooking and nutrition workshops um, where we have recipes and um, tips 
to to use the vegetables and fruits that people are growing throughout the season. Um, and we really try to look at traditional um, foods and dishes and just kind of like new ways to think about those and maybe healthier options and ways to, to cook those up. Um, so that's all encompassing in our program, Sembrando Salud. Okay. Well, I want to talk more about these workshops, uh, but we do have to take a short break here in just a short moment. If you've got a question, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Any ideas, any suggestions, any comments? We're talking about native gardening on the show today. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're going to be back after a short break. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Gardening is the focus of today's show. Still time to chime in. If you have a question about gardening or you have a tip to share, give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Before we went to break, we were talking with Katerie Zuni, and she was sharing some of these really cool gardening workshops that she has planned in the Albuquerque area. And Katery, if we've got some listeners on the show who are interested in, in being a, a gardener for the first time, what advice do you have for them? Um, I think, you know, I, I would encourage folks to just, you know, give it a try and really think about um, what are their goals and what is the context that they're growing in. So are they, you know, just trying to see if they can do it in a space? Or are they trying to get a certain yield of vegetables? And from there, understanding, you know, what their space is, whether they're growing in a backyard space or even just, as you said in your introduction, a few containers out on the balcony. Um, our program is designed to be able to meet folks where they are in that sense. Um, and, you know, we really try to encourage um build a community of growers. So we invite folks who are expert gardeners. We invite people who are just getting started so that there can be a really good share of ideas and tips. Um, last year, we were still pretty heavily in the middle of COVID, as everyone knows. So a lot of our work was done online, and we relied a lot on social media sharing, um, which actually created a really cool little online community of folks from, you know, Western Pueblos were sharing with people in and around the downtown Albuquerque area. Um, and so that's that's really kind of at the heart of what we're trying to do, um, not only to encourage growers, um, but to increase nutrition access in all of our in our underserved communities. Um, so, yeah, I, I would encourage people to look for um, what they want to to get from their garden and what their capacity will be in terms of time and space. Um, and, you know, hopefully they can look to us and join our program and we can help meet them where they are. Katerie, do you sense uh, growing interest among native gardeners? Is, is there momentum for more people interested in gardening? I mean, just 
From my own experience, yes, I, I would say so. Not only because, you know, there's there's more opportunity for for programs like this and, and places where people can share this um, knowledge and experience, but also just looking at, you know, what happened during the pandemic and what has been happening, what's happening right now with a lot of our inflation and grocery prices. People are kind of realizing that, you know, we need new solutions to be able to sustain ourselves and our families. Um, and so for the Center of Southwest Culture, we tend to take a look at, you know, what's going on now and look at things in a kind of a back to the future approach. So we're looking at the the ways that our ancestors and the people who have always been in this place in New Mexico, you know, what did they do and what were the resources that they used to help sustain themselves and to keep themselves um, healthy and our communities healthy. And so with all of our programming, we're really trying to, to get back to the future and find ways to um, support our families in a healthy way using the resources we always already have. Um, and so, yes, it's a long story long. People are, are kind of realizing that we need better solutions to, to feed ourselves. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about kind of taking back that agency um, individually and then for our communities. Now, Katerie, where can listeners go to learn more about these workshops? Yeah, so they can follow us on um, our social media platforms, especially Facebook and Instagram. Um, it's Center of Southwest Culture. Um, and I also encourage people to go to our website, which is just centerofsouthwestculture.org. Um, there's links where you can sign up for these this year's workshops. Um, we provide this programming for underserved Indigenous and Mexicano, Chicano, and POC families in and around New Mexico. Um, and, you know, you're, you're welcome to join. And we would love to see you. We start this weekend, but all of our workshops are hosted online, so you can go back and view them later. Um, and But you do need to register in order to get updates and um, supplies and things like that. Well, Katerie, thank you so much for all that information. Sounds like you folks there at the Center of Southwest Culture are just doing some great work, and we really, really appreciate all that you do. Let's go back to Sterling. And again, he's down there uh, in Ajo, Arizona. And, and Sterling, earlier I asked um, Addie about just what does a person need to be doing right now, middle of April, to get started growing? And, and I want to ask you the same question, Sterling, for somebody that's interested in growing a garden there in the Sonoran Desert where you're located. What should they be doing today to get ready for a, a good growing season? Well, um, no, it's, uh, for, it's a good question for me. Um just um, for someone that's just starting out, I'd say start off small. When I first started growing, I was given a tractor and told to plant 24 acres of tepi beans or bao. So that was my introduction into um, growing food as an apprentice. This was back in 2011 when I first started to learn how to grow food. Um, but for now, you know, um, I would say, you know, really, if we're going to do things the traditional way, you now look at your area and look where, where the water will be uh, at. And that's how you want to harvest water. Or, you know, if you want to use modern methods where you use very little water uh, from your home, I'd say, you know, go, you know, pick a water source, uh, pick a space closest to your water source and 
whether it's a hose, a garden hose, or where it's under um, drip irrigation, um, you know, those are kind of the things that people need to look out for. And especially, um, you know, don't don't be disappointed when things don't go go right. You know, for me, you know, I learned a lot. You know, from my first season and uh, watching everything come up, and then you have horses and cattle. Um, that break in through your fence and eat, you know, the sprouts, or you have coyotes that run away with a uh, with a squash in their mouth, or a watermelon in their mouth, and they're taking it w- with them um, when they when they see you coming. Now it's really uh, and birds too. Um, when there's when it's really dry for us in the, here in Arizona, when it's dry, the birds tend to eat a lot of the seeds um, because they're hungry. Um, There's not going to be monsoon rains for another two more months, maybe less. Um, But, yeah, I would say just, you know, be prepared to learn um, learn from your mistakes and then improve on them because that's the only way anyone can get better is, you know, uh, going out there and learning, uh, learning from their mistakes, and then uh, and and growing, and uh, and growing from that, growing for those mistakes, and um, you know, those are kind of the things, and those are uh, the things that we, you know, we, you know, teach people. You know, I have apprentices. I have two apprentices that I, you know, I don't do the work for them. I let them do all the work. And they plant everything as much as I want to say, hey, plant it this way. I I tell them to plant it themselves, and I tell them that so that they can learn how to grow it themselves because if I do it for them, they don't learn. Um, But we had a really good successful harvest both using modern methods and using traditional methods um, because of the, um, the monsoon season that we had last year. So uh, I say to anybody that's getting ready, uh, just you now get ready. Now the elders should say to us, "Nampinato, be ready." Now because you don't know when it's gonna, when when it's time. You know, for us, um, uh-huh. I just started planting. I just started planting a couple of weeks ago because um, our seeds are very sensitive to the cold. And once it started getting warmer, now then we started preparing the grounds to uh, start planting. So um, always be ready, and you know that's that's you know how it is. You know you can't predict the weather, but you can have an idea when the weather's going to come. But you have to be ready for it. Be ready, be ready, and and Sterling, I am envisioning this coyote you describe with a big watermelon in his mouth and just grinning as he runs away with all, all the all the crops and all of the hard work that uh, that the farmers put into that. I can just see it in my eyes right now. Addie, up there in Taos, uh, what types of pests and, and critters do you folks have to deal with uh, in your farms and gardens? Well, sometimes there's a lot of um, grasshoppers. Um, those are I haven't seen them in the last year and a half um, here, but I'm not sure how it's going to go this season. And I think it was because we were really, really 
um, in a drought up here, you know. So I think they came around and I haven't seen them around. <laughs> I'm really praying they're not going to be here this year. We do get, um, we get squash bugs and um, other critters. I don't really see a lot more than that up at, up at the Pueblo. I think I'm, I'm grateful for that um, because we don't seem to have a ton of uh, bugs. But when I was growing inside the greenhouses, we did have a lot of um, um, different types of bugs that were coming in and, and eating up our plants. But because we're planting outdoors now, um, we don't have that concern. So my biggest one is the squash bugs. They come every year. They're there every year, and they they tear up a lot of the plants if you don't take care of them right away. And how do you address those squash bugs? I... I tend to um, put a mixture together with cayenne pepper and a few different oils and then rub them on my leaves as they start getting, um, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit more than like maybe two inches. And then I just start rubbing them and it can deter them for a while. But once they start coming, they come. And so I actually, I don't like to see it, but I squash the squash bugs. (laughs) Because when I'm planting an acre, you know, of squash, um, it can it can be gone in a week and a half's time to two weeks if we don't take care of them right away. But usually um, just wiping them off and making sure you, um, you definitely get the eggs if they happen to lay eggs. Um, and they don't usually lay them until the, the, the plants are a little bit bigger, you know, over the, the leaves are over five inches. Interesting. And Sterling, how about down there in Ajo, you know, these coyotes, what, what's what's the answer there? Is it a scarecrow? Is it a shotgun? How do you protect your, your plants and all that hard work? Um, sometimes it's a good old-fashioned reservation dog. That, you know, oh. you have dogs, they, they and sometimes, sometimes get to chase the animals away. Um no, yeah, dogs are a good one. Um, just being there, being consistent. Um, but sometimes it, it's kind of hard not to feel bad for the animals because they, we are in a desert when it's, you know, 100 plus or 110 plus and there's no rain in sight, no water, no food uh, for the animals to eat. And sometimes they, they forage off on your um, on your harvest. No, but it's really... Um, yeah, uh, for Ajo, it's not really too bad on the reservation. It's pretty bad because, yeah, we have open range, so a lot of cattle and horses do, and donkeys, you know, roam around free. And when they smell that water, you know, they tend to come over, or they smell something good. Uh, most likely, they'll come to the fence and um, break through, and then you have to chase them out. And, yeah, uh, fencing... Uh, Sometimes it's tough because uh, we are in the in the desert and uh, there's no hardware store to go for almost you know, 80 miles, sometimes 90 miles for people uh, to go get you know bob wire fencing or horse horse fencing or animal fencing. So it's really tough. But well, no. it's good. Yeah, it sounds like it, and it, and it's good to know that a that a, a good old fashioned res dog can sometimes be the answer to protect all those crops. Sterling, there at the Ajo Center for Sustainable Agriculture, do you also have workshops and trainings to help folks get their gardens up and going? 
Uh, yes. So we um, are making ourselves available both um, both uh, virtually and in person. Uh, actually, tomorrow uh, I will I will be in Tucson uh, doing a workshop about um, preparing the soil for dryland farming. Um, so we'll be connecting to people who don't live on the reservation, you know, but now don't you know have access to traditional knowledge, you know, who just want to learn about who they are. Um, uh, and, um, of course, we're going to be having some of our uh, workshops um, virtually too. So through our um, Facebook page, uh, Instagram, a lot of the, our, the stuff I'm talking about will um, preparing the preparing the soils, preparing the fields, uh, using traditional planting or modern planting will all be um, um, available virtually. Well, great information being shared today here on Native American, Native America Calling. We're talking about native gardens, farming, different types of seeds, traditional farming practices, uh, pests and, and grasshoppers and other things like that we need to take care of and be precautious with with regard to our gardens. Uh, we've reached the end of the hour, and I do need to thank our guests, Addie Lucero, Sterling Johnson, Terry Lynn Brent, and Kateri Zuni for helpful ideas to make the most of your native garden this year. Let it rain, let it rain. Join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our senior producer is Andy Murphy. Saul Traverso is our brand new associate producer. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director and Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm Sean Spruce. Have a great weekend. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strongheart's Native Helpline. Cachet, CMS programs are available to help manage diabetes in our communities. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. 
a message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, ELACWA. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.